For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who want to know what in the world works with social media. And I'm very excited about today's show. A little later in the show, I'm going to be interviewing Guy Kawasaki. He's the former chief evangelist for Apple Computer and the author of a ton of books. And his two most recent books include Enchantment and What the Plus, Google Plus for the rest of us. During that interview, we're going to explore how the world of publishing has evolved and the impact of blogging. And we're also going to be taking a look at social and Google Plus in particular. We've also got a really cool social media tip for you. And I'm going to go ahead and transition over to that right now. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. Today's tip comes to us from my colleague, Cindy King, who is the editorial director at Social Media Examiner. And it's about LinkedIn endorsements. Cindy, tell us what are LinkedIn endorsements? So LinkedIn endorsements are this cool new feature that came out a short while ago where it LinkedIn makes it easy for us to give us a sort of virtual thumbs up for all of our first degree connections in their areas of skills and expertise. And these skills and expertise are what they have put on their LinkedIn profile when they set it up. And LinkedIn just asks us whether we want to um, endorse those particular skills. Okay, so if I went to your profile, for example, on LinkedIn, and I saw that one of your um, skill sets was international marketing. What will I see? How do I actually go about giving the endorsement and what is involved? Do I have to actually create something like Cindy's really good at international marketing or is it something easier than that? No, it's very easy. So you're just going to see a few buttons at the top of the page and you click, click on them and say that, yes, you're going to endorse them. Um, the selection at the top of the page is not the complete selection. So you might want to scroll down further and there you'll see the full list of uh, skills that uh, I had selected when I created my profile. So it's kind of like giving a little bit of virtual love, if you will, to people by just exactly. essentially saying, okay, this person claims to have these skill sets. I'm a third party and I'm endorsing that. Does my name show up next to those or how does that work? Yes. So on uh, you can choose whether these are public or not in your settings, um, but most people tend to put them as public. And so you, when you visit the public profiles on LinkedIn, you're going to see this further down in the skills and expertise section, and you will have the photos of the people, the Gravatar images of the people that have endorsed you on each particular skill set. So um, why do you believe this is important for marketers, or maybe what's the strategy behind using LinkedIn endorsements? Well, um, I actually find that the LinkedIn endorsements are a great tool for networking. 
Uh, I think it's a great way for you to get back on the radar of the connections that you have that you haven't quite been in touch with recently. And it sort of breaks the ice a little bit. Um, and so I've, I've seen that that's worked very well for me in networking with uh, the writers at Social Media Examiner, uh, the other people that I'd like to get in contact with. Well, folks, there you have it. Our tip of the week is to check out LinkedIn endorsements. And you can just go ahead and log into LinkedIn and go to your personal profile or the profiles of others. And I'm sure you'll find it. Cindy, thanks so much for bringing us that tip this week. Thank you. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. Let's go ahead and transition over to today's interview. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I am so excited to be joined by the one and only Guy Kawasaki. Guy is the former chief evangelist for Apple Computer and the author of tons of books. Most recently, the New York Times bestselling book, Enchantment, and his newest book is What the Plus, Google Plus for the rest of us. Guy, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. So, hey, Guy, today we're going to talk about the world of publishing a little bit and how it's changed from way back when you published your first book. Look a little bit at blogs, and then we're going to dig into Google Plus, how you're using it, and maybe some of your tips and techniques. So, let me start with... Um, Way back in the 80s, I think it was the mid-80s, you wrote The Macintosh Way, and that was your first book. And then most recently, you wrote What the Plus. How has the whole process of publishing books from your perspective as an author of many books that have been published changed, and why do you think the change is going on? The difference is basically day and night. Uh, Back in 1987, when I published The Macintosh Way, you sent out a bunch of proposals. You prayed that somebody would be interested in it. You, you know, assuming that happened, which was not a good assumption in most cases, you uh, went through a series of negotiations uh, that stretched on for weeks and weeks. You got a five, ten thousand dollar advance. You wrote like hell for a while. You turned it in. Your editor made you change a lot of stuff. You went back and forth. They designed a few, few, few. Uh, book covers that the, you hoped, uh, they hoped you like, and even if you didn't like it, they would simply tell you, well, if you want your book to come out on time, it's too late to add any more designs. So, you know, you just picked one and you know, sort of went on and on like that. Uh, contrast that to today, now all of what I just described, if you go with a traditional publisher today, is still the same. Sucking up to a lot of people, lots of rejection, uh, going back and forth, not a lot of control for the for the author. Uh, so that's still true today. But with self-publishing now, it's completely changed. Um, from the time I finished What the Plus and sent it to a copy editor, she took four days. I got it back, and two days later, it was for sale on Kindle. So roughly a week from when I thought I was finished until when it came out. Uh, that's 
that's that time period from the time that you think it's finished to the time it's on the shelf in traditional book publishing is probably six to nine months. Wow. Huge difference. So talk to me a little bit about now what the plus is out in paperback, right? So there's a story there. What happened there? That's another great story. So I brought out what the plus in, in electronic form only and along the way, I said, well, this is interesting. Uh, I wonder what will happen if it goes to paper. So, you know, I could have used something like Lightning Source and gone into the print business myself, but I just didn't have the energy. So luckily, I found McGraw-Hill, and McGraw-Hill uh, expressed interest and took a chance with me because the concept of the author retaining the ebook rights and selling it for 99 cents to 2.99 giving away pdfs you know just doing all kinds of crazy things and a separate publisher taking it to paper uh, shall i say is unusual and so we're in the midst of that right now uh, and it'll be a very interesting test because there's not a lot of books that you know you can get from the, the author electronically and a traditional publisher on paper well, we've heard stories about blog to book, and it sounds like you've gone ebook to book. And I'm just curious, I mean, stepping back, and I know you've been in the business world and analyzed lots of businesses. What do you think, why do you think finally the publishing world is kind of getting with the time and, and going electronically, or are they not? And it's really people like you, you know, and, and lots of your peers that are saying, forget about publishers, we're just going to do this on our own. It's a complex question. Uh, in publishing is definitely an industry in transition, shall I say, to, to be subtle. Um, they're, they're fighting, I think, ebooks to a great extent. Uh, they're afraid of the copying of ebooks and all this kind of thing. Um, I, I actually think that you know, they're approaching it incorrectly. That uh, you know, sort of like the music business, you, you can try to protect your CDs as much as you can and try to enforce all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's an iTunes world after all, at 99 cents a song. So that's the world is, that's the way the world's going to go. I think it's inevitable. I don't think you can do a damn thing about it. So you might as well go with the flow and try to make it work for you. So, uh, I, you know, I'm in the midst of writing another book called Ape, Author, Publisher, Entrepreneur, How to Publish a Book. Because of the experience with What the Plus and self-publishing is a very complex subject, especially for a nonfiction writer. For a fiction writer, where there's no subheads, no pictures, no captions, no tables, no bulleted lists, you know, stuff like that, it's relatively simple. You write in Word, you upload to Kindle, get a cover, boom, you're done. But for a nonfiction writer, it's very, very challenging. So I... I, I I think it's a time of great opportunity. If you look at the democratization of information, um, my perspective is, you know, way back when rich people in the Roman Catholic Church had scribes and, you know, they, they sort of transcribed the Bible one page at a time, one letter at a time. And then you fast forward and Gutenberg is now printing Bibles uh, every day. And so that definitely democratized books. Uh, I think so much so that there was a, there's an attempt in the UK to limit the number of printers because they thought too much information was getting out to the people. So, uh, so now we fast forward to desktop publishing. So anybody with PageMaker or Macintosh and a laser printer was now a publisher. 
fast forward again, now people with blogs and websites are publishers, uh, but that required people to go to their website or their blog. And now with tablets and Kindles and Nooks and Kobos, uh, we're like at another leap where with Word and an upload, you're a publisher, you're in business. Uh, that's a great trend. Now, that's not to say self-published book is good. That's hardly the case. But I, I believe in the theory of you know infinite monkeys working on keyboards is going to produce a lot of masterpieces. Guy, let's talk about blogging. Um, about three or four years ago, you had a very, very popular blog. And then um, somewhere along the way, uh, you moved to the American Express Open Forum, and I think also um, you had the Holy Cow, which I know you also still have on your alltop.com. And then also, most recently, uh, LinkedIn. I noticed that you've been writing directly on LinkedIn. I'm just curious if you can share a little bit about your thoughts on blogging and, and, and some of the directions you've chosen to take. Sure, sure. So, with all good intentions, I began a blog a few years ago. And at the time, I had a whole backlog of material, you know, roughly 25 years of material to blog about. So I could blog, you know, long and deep and often. And then after a few years of this, I ran out of ideas, seriously. And so I, I went from blogging to guest writing for the American Express Open Forum. And then after a little bit of that, I ran out of ideas for that too. And so the the constraining item for me in blogging is stuff to write about. Good point. And um, and I guess you know a, a sub constraint for me is therefore the time to write about this stuff. And so uh, now we fast forward, and you know things like uh, Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus appear, and I have to say I just fell in love with that stuff. It was short form. It was acting more as a curator than as a blogger. So it's one thing to generate content. It's another thing to curate and find content. So I have evolved from a blogger to a curator. I just very seldom blog. And when I do write, I'm writing a book. I'm, I'm, so it's very much bifurcated. I either write a book or I write you know, a two or three sentence thing that points people to something I find useful or interesting. And that's my evolution. It, it really is a matter of running out of ideas and time. Well, it's really interesting because I think that um, this happens, you know, um, to a lot of people where um, they, be, they, they get started with something and they love it and it's incredible and they're getting great response out of it, but it's really all on their shoulders. And in your case, it was all on your shoulders and you got to the point where you ran out of juice and then eventually you, you said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead. Now it's so easy for me to um, take these ideas and put them into book format and make money, I can. I think it kind of makes sense to do that. And since you've already got a massive platform, it totally makes sense to do that. So what I'm hearing you say is that blogging was very important, especially for you in the early days. But now these social networks allow you to express yourself spontaneously. Um, and then those deeper ideas go into book format. And, you know, I guess really it comes down to where you are as an individual who's listening to this. You know, do you need to build your platform Perhaps maybe you do start with a blog. I'm curious. Do you agree? It's a logical place to begin uh, with a blog. Uh, the I think the issue with the blog is that you have no natural traffic, right? Whereas you could write a blog-ish kind of post, particularly on Google+, 
and Google Plus inherently has traffic, I think it's much easier to drive traffic to a Google Plus post because of sharing and plus wanting and all the stuff that's inherent in the Google Plus system compared to having a standalone blog where somehow you have to get people to go to your standalone blog. So uh, if I were starting today trying to build a platform, I would probably use Google Plus or Facebook fan page as my platform and not try to write a blog from scratch. Now, the, the, the one more thing about blogging is I think whether it's blogging blogging or using Google Plus or Facebook as your blogging platform, uh, blogging is very good practice for writing a book. So even if you um, even if you are not sure why you should blog because you're an author, I, I would make the case that blogging is good practice. Uh, it's like working out every day. Yeah, Seth Godin I think gets a lot of his ideas for his books um, by expressing them in these short blog posts that he puts together. It's, yes, it's just yet another platform. Yes. So um, Twitter. Let's talk about that for a sec. Then we're going to get dive into Google+. I know you're, you've got a huge following on Twitter, and you are a very big evangelist on Twitter. Where does Twitter fit into the ecosystem these days, social ecosystem, in your opinion? Good question. Um, my personal uh, approach to Twitter now is, is shall I say, unusual. Uh, part of my website, All Top, has a section called Holy Cow, and Holy Cow has about 20 articles a day that uh, is supposed to elicit the response, holy cow, you know, when you read it. So something unusual, something funny, something interesting, right? And the way we find those 10 or 20 stories is uh, we have contributors, we have contributing organizations uh, such as Futurity and Discover and How Stuff's Made. Uh, not How Stuff's Made, that's a TV show. Um and so that, that those, those people write stories, the name of the story becomes a headline in Twitter automatically. So if you looked at my Twitter feed, it's all generated by contributors. And the contributors write stories for Holy Cow. The Holy Cow story headline becomes a tweet. And then those things are repeated four times, eight hours apart. So this is just you know laying this out that Twitter – at Guy Kawasaki is not Guy Kawasaki personally at all anymore. It it's really a broadcast mechanism to drive people is. to holy it's cow. It's just like yeah, yeah, it's you know it's uh, it, it would be like thinking that um, you know it's closer to at New York Times or at CNN. You know, it's not the publisher of CNN handcraft. I mean, the 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 CEO of CNN or the publisher of the New York Times crafting tweets. It's it's a push mechanism, and and yet you know I've I, I've not hidden this at all, right? You know I've I've told the world because this is contrary to what most social media experts say you should do. They say Twitter should be personal, interactive, and gay, you know all that good stuff. Right. And mine is quite the opposite. Um, and yet, my Twitter account is over a million. And I was never a Twitter-suggested user. So those million people really signed up for me. It's not because they, sh they joined Twitter and Twitter you know, said, all right, these are the people you should sign up for. 
And, you know, so they signed up for me and, you know, I don't know, Britney Spears, right? So those million or so people, they really did make a decision. It wasn't because they were led down the path. Um, There's a lesson there. And I think the lesson is if you curate good stuff and these contributors really do curate good stuff, people will still follow you. That's That's excellent. Um, Guy, let's talk a little bit. About, let's transition to Google Plus. Uh-huh. What do you say to a marketer who's wondering if they, you know, if they're thinking, "Oh my gosh, yet another man, yet another social network to manage"? What do you say to them about Google Plus? I can't say that I can dispute the concept of, you know, oh man, another social media network to take care of. Uh, however, this is not two guys in a garage with a million dollars. This is for crying out loud, Google, and so Google owns the river called search. And Google can integrate and has integrated search with Google+. So now, depending on how you post on Google+, when people search for a term and they know you, you know, you'll appear. This is uh, you know, search for your world. This, this kind of thing. And Google Local is impacted by Google+. And you know, Google has really integrated Google+, into most of what it does. So I don't see how you can possibly ignore Google Plus at this point. Um, you know, even if, like most people are, are, have made the decision about Google Plus based on they went there and they wanted to see if everybody they knew on Facebook was on Google Plus, and the answer to that is no, that it, it's not going to be true because Google Plus has about one tenth number of people on Facebook. So if you approach Google Plus as Facebook replacement, um, you will you will be disappointed. If you if you approach Google Plus as uh, you know I don't have that much in common with my classmates from high school and college on Facebook. Now I'm you know I have new passions, I have new interests. So if you go to Google Plus and type in photography because your high school classmates don't like photography but you do, you'll find a great community of photographers on Google Plus where you can make new friends. And so I think the the whole sort of Google Plus is a ghost town thing is from people who approach it as if it was a Facebook replacement trying to find the same people and it's not going to work that way. So uh, I, you know, I have sort of very little patience for people who say uh, it's a ghost town. Uh, this would be like saying, well, okay, so you go to one party. At that one party, it's your high school and college roommates and friends, right? So you go there, you know everybody. You have a great time. Hallelujah. That's Facebook. Now you go to another party. You don't know anybody there. And yet they are interesting, beautiful people. And you complain. I went to the Google Plus party and I didn't know anybody. I didn't have fun. I would make the case if you go to a party and there's beautiful people there and they're interesting and you don't have fun but, and, but you don't know them and you don't have fun, that's your fault. That's not the, the party host's fault. Very good points. Um, talk a little bit about what Google Plus has done for you since you started embracing it. Google Plus has definitely offered me an outlet <laughs> for my efforts to curate. Uh, I also love it because it is great for uh, as a resource for an author. Uh, for example, I'm in the final stages of writing Ape, and uh, last week I posted uh, a picture of my cover and a request for beta sites. And within about 24 hours, I had about 150 people volunteer to test the book. So now, obviously, everybody doesn't have as many followers as I do, so it will not work 
you know, as well. Although I think many people, who, if they could get 10 or 15 readers, would be quite happy. So Google Plus is a weapon for me. Um, it is a platform. It is a weapon. It is a means to an end. And that's another thing. When I say stuff like this, a lot of social media experts freak out because... <laughs> How dare you say it's a tool and it's a means to an end? It should be about the relationship, right? should be about relationship and kumbaya and, you know, <laughs> kind of like the Coca-Cola commercial, you know, where they're all singing in the field about, uh, what was that song? Um, is it We Are the World? Or, I don't know. Something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so listen, that's not my approach. My approach is, you know, uh, Google Plus is just a weapon. It's a weapon of mass construction for me. So let's talk about precisely how you use Google+. Okay. Kind of walk through what you do on a daily basis on Google+. I'm afraid to tell people what I do because it's going to scare them. All right. So <laughs> this is how it truly, truly works. Um, I'm kind of an insomniac. I get up a lot at night. And so what I do is I, I kind of – not kind of. Uh, when I sleep, I have a, I have a Nexus 7 tablet near – the bed. Okay, so sometimes I get up in the middle of the night, and I know that I need ten posts for the next day. So I get up in the middle of the night, and I have bookmarked uh, about four all top sites. So NPR dot all top, uh, autos dot all top, photography dot all top, and then I have a custom my all top page where I have about twenty feeds that I depend on for good stuff. So about three a.m. in the night, I'm looking at these sites, and what I do is. I find interesting stories on all top. I have created a circle that has only me in it. Okay. So I'm on my Nexus 7 tablet. I use all top. I find an interesting story. I share the story just to me. The next morning I get up, I go to my Google Plus account on my computer where I see what I shared to myself last night. I take that story. I look for a picture from that story or I go to Wikimedia and find the picture that I think illustrates the story. I take a screenshot of the picture because I include a picture with every one of my Google Plus posts. I think that is an absolute requirement. So I take a picture of that post and then I use DoShare, which is a Chrome extension, and I schedule the post. Uh, I like to spread my posts out. And I use DoShare to do this because DoShare allows you to pick a time and a day when the post goes out. But DoShare requires that you have your computer and Chrome running. Okay, So it, it's not something that you uh, craft and then you send up into the cloud and then you can shut your computer. Your computer has to be on. So DoShare at the appointed time then posts the post. And... Uh, Basically, that's what I do. Now, this do share is it? Is it just like it sounds? D o s h a r e. Yeah. And then what you mentioned, Wikimedia. I'm not familiar with that. What is that exactly? Media is just the 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 pictures part of Wikipedia. Oh, and they're all they're all kind of uh, permission based. You can use these images, kind of thing. Yes. Very cool. So, um, guy, just a one or two quick questions for you. Uh, this this last almost last question is, where do you th see things heading? I know that you have been at the front of a lot of different moves or, or industry changes uh, in technology. Where do you see the world of social media headed? What are the trends that you personally see happening in okay. the near future? 
Shit, I have no clue. Uh, <laughs> have you? Have you? Is there anything in particular that, like, for example, I don't know. Um, it's it's a really good answer that you're being very honest with me. There, there's nothing that you see, like, for example, are you seeing um, more visual sites coming about, or are you seeing more audio stuff? I'm just curious what your thoughts are, for example, on podcasting. Uh, don't consume it. I. You know, Mike, I hate to tell you, in a rare moment of modesty, uh, I just, I, I, I pride myself on the ability to react fast, which is very different than predict. <laughs> so, you know, maybe you should ask Robert Scoville what he predicts, but I just react fast. So, so how do you know, okay, let's rephrase the question then. How do you know when to react fast? Like, how did you know when Google Plus was something that you were going to dig into? What was it that made you decide this is something I'm going for? Yeah, because the first time I saw Google Plus and the first time I saw Twitter, I thought both things were really stupid. Uh, in Twitter's case, when I first saw it, I said, you know, I went. To, so I went to the Twitter homepage where you saw the public tweets of the stream, right? And it was post after post of my cat rolled over, my dog rolled over. <laughs> Starbucks is long. The sun is shining in Puerto Rico. I was like, I could care less about the sun in Puerto Rico. I could care less about your dog. I could care less about the line you're standing in. And start. I could care less. What are these idiots talking about? Why do I care about Twitter? And, and so like after a week, I finally figured out what you have to do for Twitter is to figure it out. It's to search. So you search for your name, you search for your company, you search for your competitors, you search for the subjects you're interested in, and you find people who are discussing this stuff. So it took me a week to grok Twitter. Uh, fast forward. So I find out about Google+. And the first thing I do with Google+, is I circle what I considered 30 interesting people, you know, Scoble and people like that. And so I start making posts, and I make these posts, and like I get two or three comments, and I'm thinking – what the hell is this? Why should I go through all this trouble to post and I get two or three comments? I can get, I can get 20, 30, 50 comments on Twitter. So uh, after a while, I finally figured out that I was posting to the people that I had circled, not to the public. Uh. Right? So, that, so now only 30 people were seeing this. So then I figured out, oh, dummy, you should post to the public. So when I posted to the public, Google Plus just exploded. You know, comment after comment, interesting, long, thought out comments, you know? And so that's when the light went on for me for Google Plus. And, you know, the rest, shall I say, is history. Well, Guy, it's interesting, very interesting to kind of hear some of the ways you go about doing things. I hope you, um, get better rest. But at the same time, I think your lack of sleep is what's led to some great content. So congratulations on that front. Guy, if people want to learn more about you and about your new book, What the Plus, and your future books that you're going to be writing, is there any place in particular that you would want to send them? Yes. Really? The best place to figure out what I'm doing, get in touch with me, is two places. One is Google+. Plus. You know, my, my sign is uh, Guy Kawasaki. That's where you'll get me, only me, manually, handcrafted, artisanal, heritage, no bioengineering guy. Okay? And if you really want to make point-to-point -point contact, it's email. It's guy at alltop.com. Guy Kawasaki, thank you so much for taking some time out of your crazy busy schedule to uh, share some of your insights with us today. I really appreciate it. Take care. Talk to you later, Guy. 
Be sure to check out Guy's new book, What the Plus. Also, if you want to catch any of the uh, URLs that were mentioned or leave a comment, the show notes can be found at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 12. This does bring us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. If you like what you've heard, would you do me a huge favor and head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review? While you're at it, go ahead and download the podcast app and be sure to subscribe so you do not miss any future episodes of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.